In American society, money is a taboo topic. We're taught at a young age it's improper to talk about it, but we're also bombarded with messages about the power and importance of money in our everyday lives. And by not talking about it, we miss out on the skills and lessons we need to effectively understand and financially plan. That changes today. Welcome to Money Tales. Hosted by Sandy Brager and Cami Doder, Money Tales brings more than 35 years of combined professional experience in personal finance to demystify money and demonstrate what it's like to speak openly about personal financial matters. Join us each episode as they interview modern-day movers and shakers about how money decisions intertwine with their daily lives in order to give you better insight into productive financial conversations. Subscribe today and register for our blog, Fathom, at aspirient.com slash podcasts to increase your money mojo. And now, here's Cammie and Sandy. Heather Rader is our guest this week on Money Tales. Heather almost fell out of her chair one night when she was out with a friend who was also a coworker on their sales team, and she found out what he was making. The friend was telling Heather about how he and his wife were about to buy a new house. This caused Heather to ask her colleague about his compensation. She learned he was earning almost double of what she was. This was a big shock because Heather was consistently the top salesperson in the organization. Heather shares what actions the conversation triggered her to take for herself and other high-performing women on her team. Today, Heather is the founder of a 100% women-owned winery in the Napa Valley. Her winery, Spirit Horse Vineyards, helps support a rescue horse ranch in Napa where they support a leadership program for foster children to help the next generation thrive. Additionally, offering unique access at the highest levels of tennis and wine, Heather has created luxury travel experiences for world-class individuals and corporations at the top of their game through her company, Tennis and Vine. Heather is passionate about food, wine, tennis, travel, and combining them as a catalyst for inspiration and connection. Here are three Money Tales conversation topics Heather hits on in this conversation. First, it was important to Heather's parents that she pay for her own college education. This turned out to be an important money lesson. Heather learned from the experience how hard work and making her own way in the world leads to pride and confidence. Second, how important it is to help others advocate for themselves when it comes to money matters and how role play can be an effective tool for honing these skills. And third, how exciting it is to be in creator mode, taking profits from one business to build out a new one. We hope you share this episode with a friend and please subscribe to Money Tales on your favorite podcast platform. Now, on to our conversation with Heather Rader. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Money Tales podcast. I'm Cami Doder. And I'm Sandy Breaker. Cami, I want to share with you that our niece is getting married, and I just got her an off-the-registry wedding gift that I'm super excited about, but also have some hesitations. Oh, tell us. Putting our gifts where our mouths are, my family and I purchased for her and her fiance, soon to be husband, a couple of sessions with a money therapist to help them have really good money conversations. A money therapist. Let's make sure we know what that is. Someone who works with couples to help them have open money conversations with each other and understand where they're each coming from, from a financial perspective orientation in money script perspective. 
What a great start. What a gift, Sandy. I'm excited about it. The hesitancy is because, of course, money conversations are very important to me, but I haven't had any money conversations with the couple at all. And this is going to be hitting them from left field, I think. I'm hoping that they'll be open to the gift and take full advantage of it. But I'm working on crafting the note to give some context and really set them up, I hope, for a very meaningful gift from us. Sandy, I love that. That's really thoughtful. My husband and I would have enjoyed something like that. I would have loved something like that. Yeah. Would you have loved it, Heather? Absolutely. Gosh. I mean, every couple could use that. Is the number one reason people divorce is over money. It is. It is. And I just have to be careful because I have, again, no idea what their communication styles are like and whether they're already thinking and talking about money together. I don't want it to come as judgment. It needs to come from the spot that it's really being generated from, of wanting to help make sure that they start their marriage on a really strong foundation and have productive money conversations. What a gift. And thanks for that, Sandy. And we already heard from our guest today, Heather Rader. Welcome to the Money Tales podcast. Hello, Heather. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Would you introduce yourself, Heather, and provide a couple pivotal moments that have taken place in your life that really impacted who you are today? My name is Heather Rader. I am the founder of Spirit Horse Vineyards. We are a 100% women-owned winery. Only about 3% of wineries are owned by women. About 10% of winemakers are women. I come from a corporate background. I was studying wine as a hobby, quote unquote, on the side. I saw a huge gap in the market. About 80% of wine buyers are women, and we are being marketed to primarily by men, 99% men. And I felt that. And I know that my friends felt that. I felt like our values were different as far as what we as women do value when we're thinking about buying wine and what that involves. So as they say in the world, when you don't like how something's being done, you go out and do it yourself. So that's exactly what we did with Spirit Horse. We are about community. We're about giving back. So we actually run a rescue horse ranch where we rescue horses. We turn them into therapy horses and we set them up with the Napa Valley foster care system. We have a group of foster girls we work with that have been abused and we put them on an eight-week leadership and empowerment program on our horses. And then when they graduate that program, they're set up with mentors in the communities. We're about community. We're about giving back. I was also just tired of the transactional feel of it. This is your wine allocation you're getting this quarter, and I don't care if you like it or not. We customize all our shipments. We, again, have a very community feel. We have the giving back element. That's who I am. It's a labor of love. A lot of people think I sit on a vineyard and drink rosé all day. I wish that were my life, but it's like anything else. But it's definitely worth it and near and dear to my heart. Heather, amazing, amazing work you're doing. I look forward to talking more about it. But before we do, let's go back in time. Tell us about your earliest money memory. My parents divorced when I was very young. I was four or five years old. There was money scarcity there. My dad grew up as a migratory farm worker. So my father actually picked cotton. He didn't have an actual home till he was 16 years old. And my grandfather was illiterate. He couldn't even write his own name. My money perception, I guess you could say, stemmed a lot from both my parents, but certainly my dad who grew up in a very unstable environment. He moved probably eight times a year. They followed the crops from Texas up to Oregon um, through Arizona. And my dad knew that the way out of that was education. My grandfather, being illiterate, had to take the dirtiest of the dirty jobs. And he was a wonderful, wonderful man. My dad knew that he had to get out of that cycle. 
and it was through education. So my father was the youngest of three siblings. He put himself through college, first to graduate high school, and then the first to graduate, put himself through college. He became a teacher. And my grandfather was just so proud that his son was a teacher. You can imagine being illiterate, not being able to spell your own name and to have your child be a teacher. That was the ultimate to my grandfather. My dad worked in teaching for many years, didn't like the money or the politics. And he left that and started his own business and became very successful. And I was not told if you go to college, it's when you go to college. That is a privilege that you're getting that not everyone gets. And when my dad would say privilege, it was not that I'm paying for your college. It's that even though by that point, my dad could definitely pay for my college if he wanted to, he said, you're going to pay for it yourself, all of it. He said, when you walk across that stage on your graduation day and you look me in the eye and I look you in the eye, he said, you're going to feel very different than those other kids walking across that stage. Did you? Yes, I did. And that was a very early money lesson, which was you work hard, you make your own way in the world. And that gives you pride in yourself. And I was very proud when I walked across that stage. And it certainly set me up for a mentality moving forward of working hard. I remember my first job out of college was working for the National Football League. I actually majored in sports marketing. Do you all remember that movie, Working Girl with Melanie Griffith? Yeah, absolutely. Of course. So I remember showing up at the NFL, just raring to go fresh off the boat from Oregon, you know, just naive as can be. And I looked down the hallway at the NFL. And you can imagine what that was. This is going to date me almost 30 years ago. The right-hand side, all the offices were the men and all the women were in the cubicles. And I called my mom that night and I said, mom, I feel like Melanie Griffith in Working Girl. I was college educated and I thought, wow, this is kind of wild. So for the first time, saw women undermining each other in the workplace. I was horrified. Also called my mom again. I said, I've never seen this before. I was raised in a home where women really supported each other and did all the things to lift each other up. And I'd never seen women undermine each other before. That was horrifying to me. And I swore to myself, I said, someday I'm going to be very successful and I'm going to lift up and empower and support women. Because I just said, not on my watch. So I saw that at a very young age. It was good for me to see that because sadly, we're still seeing it today, I think with women and girls coming up. So I think it's really something we need to be mindful of, and it is changing, but we still got a ways to go. Heather, tell us more about your money situation coming out of college. You paid for school yourself. You felt really good about it. You get this job at the NFL where you're seeing gender inequality kind of staring you right at your face. How are you thinking about money at that time? Did money play into any of the conversations that you were having or any of the experiences you were having with the women you were working with undermining each other? For sure. The dirty secret in sports marketing is they pay you nothing because everybody wants to work for the NFL or in sports marketing. This was, again, 30 years ago, but living in New York City, I was making $24,000 a year, which is just not enough to even do anything on. How many roommates did you have? A hundred of them? A billion roommates. And we all worked. The dirty secret was we all worked coat check at night and hostessing jobs. So during the day, we were doing the Melanie Griffith working girl thing at the NFL. And at night, we were waiting tables just to pay our rent. That was an early money lesson. And also, I remember looking at one of my roommates who had been at the NFL for eight years, and they said she was a valued employee. And she was making $36,000 a year. And I said, hard pass. I'm going to put my dues in here. I'm going to leverage the brand in the name of the NFL. And then I'm getting the hell out of here. (laughs) 
<laughs> because I don't want to live in poverty my whole life. I don't care about football that much. <laughs> so, so you were motivated. Yes, exactly. And I do remember also I was raised again. My parents said, we love you. If you're deathly ill, of course, you can come home, but figure it out. You do not call us for money. You figure it out. And I remember I ran out of money one month and I went and bought a sack of potatoes and I put a different topping on those potatoes every night. I never called my parents for money, but it was dicey for a minute there. But to this day, I look at a baked potato. I can't eat them. (laughs) (laughs) So Heather, what'd you do? You mentioned you're at the NFL, you're doing sports marketing. It was unsustainable from your perspective. And I appreciate that. You didn't want to be this long-term underpaid employee. What'd you do? I left there. I came back to the West Coast. I had some friends that were moving to San Francisco. Love San Francisco. I grew up in Oregon. So I went to San Francisco, found a job through a friend of a friend in tech. And I worked my way up on the sales team there. Started off at a company by the name of military.com. Was very successful there. And then we were required by Monster, not the energy drink, the job board. And military.com, we had built something incredible because I really had always been taught by my father that the client always comes first and you live and die by what that client says about you from an integrity perspective, your performance, all those things and the relationship. And that was really about relationships. So when we were acquired by Monster, they said, hey, we want to know what you're doing at military.com. You have by far the highest renewal rates, upsell rates. Your clients love you. I was asked to replicate that through all of Monster. So I did do that at Monster. And at its height, we were at $100 million a year portfolio that I was running. That was another lesson too about how you treat your customers, how you treat your clients, and truly coming from an authentic place there. And it wasn't about the money. To this day, I'm good friends with almost all those clients. We built a very authentic, valuable relationship. So I'm very proud of that. And I think that that carries through to any industry that any of us really work in or what we do in our work is authentically connecting with our customer. You should be very proud of that. We can say for sure in our line of business, it's so important. The client is everything and the focus really is there. I am curious, Heather, you moved out of the potato famine period into tech. You're super successful, it sounds like. How did your relationship with money change as you were advancing through the tech world? I went from obviously growing up with some scarcity and then the potato famine, as you call it. I love that. I'm going to have to reuse that. And then I was earning a lot of money. We were running a $100 million portfolio. I was in the top 1% of all of the top monster performers. And I would go on those achievers trips every year and they rolled out the red carpet. I was printing money. I was making great money, but I had never been taught how to manage it. And I'm sure you run into this a lot, people that are really adept at making money, but wasn't really taught about managing it. Our society does a poor job at that. Absolutely. And I think particularly with women. In that rise up at Monster, I remember I had a moment where I found out that one of my male counterparts was making almost double of what I was making. And I had higher sales than him by more than a thumb and was managing people and he was not. And I was... PO'd sure. when I found out. Oh, I bet. And he was a good friend of mine. And I asked him outright and he told me. That's how you learned how much he was making. Yeah. What was it like to ask him that question, Heather? Because I think that's a really great move that you made. He was a dear friend of mine. He also happened to be a colleague. We were just out one night and I'm a very direct person and we're just good friends. And I said, what are you doing? And he said, oh, I just closed this. I said, I'm doing really well. We're buying a new house. He's talking about him and his wife. And I said, wow. I said, what are you making? 
And he told me, and I just almost fell out of my chair. So I don't know that it was hard for me to ask him that. We had that kind of a relationship, but it certainly opened my eyes. And I remember walking in the next morning to my boss's office and I was hot. I said, I was their top performer. Everyone knew it. And I was managing a team and they were the top producing team in all of Monster nationwide. We had that most profitable division in all of Monster and we were not getting paid for that. Would you tell us more about that conversation with your boss? I put a number on his desk and I said, I want this number in writing on my desk tomorrow morning or I'm out of here. Strangely enough, I showed up the next morning and there it was on my desk, the number I'd asked for. And I learned two things from that. Number one, I thought, God, I should have done this sooner, but also just know your worth. And at that moment too, I said, I'm going to make sure I'm having these money conversations with the women in particular on my team who are high performers. So I used to take them out for a glass of wine and I would make them practice asking me for a raise. Oh my God, that's wonderful. Amazing. And then the next morning, and I said, tomorrow morning, you're going to come and you're actually going to ask me for a raise so that I can run this up the flagpole and get you your raise. And then you're going to pass this on to the women that you manage. And this is going to be paid forward. What a gift. Heather, for our listeners, maybe you could share, what were some of the things you were advising your direct reports to say when asking for a raise? Here's my performance. Here's the numbers that I've brought in. Being in sales, you're typically very aware of how you're doing next to your colleagues. Measurement's a lot easier there, yeah. Sales is pretty easy, right? Your number's your number, but also the intangibles too, what they bring to the team. I think female energy too is just so beautiful when creating that community feel on a team and helping to motivate. And you know, a lot of times I get asked, I was the only woman out of all men on the executive team. I never thought about it. To me, it was one of my superpowers. And it was. And being intuitive and having those connections. And my boss was a dear friend of mine. And the head of product was actually a dear friend of mine. And typically head of sales and head of product, but heads when it comes to tech. And we were actually such dear friends that we started a company together after we left Monster. So I think that says a lot about the kind of relationships that I had with the men. And also learning that and knowing that too, which is aligning yourself with men that believe in you and that also know your worth and making sure that you're winning together. Such an important point about your mentors and the people who are lifting you up. I am just curious, when you were talking to your friend and he told you that number and you disclosed that you weren't making that, did he share what he did to achieve the numbers he was receiving? Yes. And I think this is what society trains us to do. And I found this as a manager too. He said, oh, I just wouldn't ask for it. I mean, he goes, I ask for it all the time. He goes, I deserve that. He knew his worth. But I think society teaches men to know their worth. And I think women were taught to just keep our head down and hope that someone taps us on the shoulder and says, great job. And oh, by the way, I'm going to pay you more, which we all know doesn't work that way. It, it was an awesome lesson. Again, I wish I'd learned it sooner, but that's how it goes, doesn't it? Well, it's great that you're sharing that lesson with listeners today. So thank you for that. Heather, tell us about starting Spirit Horse. Where did the idea come from? And when did you do it? Worked in tech for a long time and really just became burnt out. I remember being at the office till two and three in the morning, three days a week. And of course, I was taught by my dad, you are the first in and you're the last out. And that's it. And I put my money where my mouth was. And that's how I ran things. And I worked harder than anyone else. I was there on weekends. And then at one of the companies, we were in a culture, which I look back now, which was abusive. They would do 5 a.m. calls. We all had to be on a 5 a.m. call every morning. And we were the top performing team, by the way. 
Let's just leave it at that. And how can you give us more money, more and more and more? They just wanted to milk. There was some trauma from that. To this day, the other executives and I, we had to go to some therapy for that because it was not good. And it's like leaving a bad relationship. And it really was like that for all of us because you didn't want to leave your team in that environment. And then one day I had an aha moment, which was, well, what am I modeling for my team that I love and care about so much? I don't like what I'm modeling for them. So I did leave. And then I ended up starting a consulting business with the head of product there at that company. And that was very successful. But I always felt a pull to give back in a more meaningful way. And I was studying for my wine certificate on the side of something I was very passionate about. And I did my little eat, pray, love, walk about. I was one of the first people to rent my places on Airbnb. So I made $30,000 my first summer. I knew the regulators would come in sooner or later. So I made bank on my condo that summer. It was a condo I bought with my own money by myself. I was very proud of that. And I leveraged that condo to go out and start Spirit Horse, basically. I rented that out while I went and traveled a bit. I'm not a very fearful person, but I was like, ah, traveling alone doesn't sound eh. So I thought, well, then that's something I need to do. So I went and traveled alone for about six months. While I was traveling, I had this aha moment of most wine buyers are women. It's mostly men selling to them. We all complain and there's no giving back. There's not these community elements. So when I got back, I hadn't even reached out yet, but the universe made it. So a gentleman who I still partner with to this day, a storied family out of Napa, reached out to me who I hadn't heard from in probably six years. So the universe is interesting when you put your energy out. And he said, do you want to start a winery together? He said, you know, some changes have happened in my family. And he said, I know you're about giving back. And he said, you can buy me out in a couple of years. So we did just that. And I bought him out about four or five years ago. We're 100% women-owned winery. I remember being a little girl in money memory when I was 12 years old and all the girls went around the circle and said, what do you want to do when you're 24? And I remember very clearly All the girls went around and said, I want to have two kids. It varied between two kids and three kids between 24 and 26. And I was 12. And I remember it got to me and I said, I want to buy my own condominium in the city. And I might get married and have kids, but that was my focus. That was a poignant moment as a 12-year-old girl. And I remember the dumbfounded looks on the girls' faces. Not that there's anything wrong with having a family. I think that's beautiful, but it was not the first thing on my mind. And I did do that. I got the condo. That's part of how I started Spirit Horse was leveraging that condo. Good for you, Heather. Would you talk about what you're doing with these young foster girls coming through your vineyard and having these experiences? Are you having any money conversations with these young girls? That is a great question. And we are not. I love that we're talking about this because I think that's something that does need to happen. Just like you were talking about the gift for your niece. I think it's something again, especially as women were not taught, and particularly these girls, they are growing up in true scarcity. My big goal is for them to know their worth. Just like I was having those conversations with the gals in my corporate job, we should be having those with them as they get older and graduate out through the program. I absolutely love that. It's something very near and dear to my heart. I was also taught by my father and my mom, but my dad in particular was a big brother. He was in the big brother, big sister program. I grew up seeing him with his little brother. And he said, you don't just take, you give back. We're not a family of takers. We give back. So that was really ingrained in me. And let's face it, at the end of the day, it is about connection and community and giving back. And I get more out of it 
than the girls do. I feel it's just incredible. And I feel so grateful for that experience. But we should be having many conversations with them. Heather, I really like how you're describing the work and bringing in the importance of modeling. I think that modeling really does come into place in so many different aspects of our life and including money relationships and money conversations. I'm curious, given the arc of your life so far and the focus of your work, what is your relationship with money like today? So I've definitely learned a lot. I think most people do some of the things the hard way. I'm in a rebuilding mode right now. I'm a creator by nature. I think that's very female energy too. I'm in a creator mode again. Spirit horse is running beautifully. Now I'm morphing that into kind of a new business, which is called Tennis and Vine. My husband works in professional tennis. My father-in-law played at Wimbledon in 62 against Rod Laver. He won the Italian Open three times. (laughs) That's so cool. Yeah. So we come from tennis royalty, so to speak. Obviously, I have the Napa Valley winery owner connections. And, you know, we were doing these trips with my husband and going to all the slams. You basically follow the sun around the world when you're in pro tennis. And I had more and more friends asking to come on these trips because I would plan, you know, these are all trips I wanted to be on, which was fabulous food, fabulous wine. We had the best seats in the house because of our connections. And we had more and more people asking to go on the trips. So in 2019, we led a couple of groups to the Italian Open, which my father-in-law, again, won three times. It was fabulous. And then 2020 hit. So we just took a little bit of a beat. Spirit Horse was thriving during the pandemic. People drink wine when times are good and they drink wine when times are bad. That gave us some time. And, you know, like anything in life, it was just the timing that needed to be that it was meant to really formally launch now. So we're actually launching that this year. So I'm in creator mode. So I'm investing my money from Spirit Horse into launching Tennis and Vine. And I'm excited about that. And I feel like a little kid again. And you're doing this with your husband? I'm not. He actually runs Fila Tennis. His father's run it for 50 years now. When he retired from pro tennis, he took over Fila Tennis. He signed Bjorn Borg, Jennifer Capriotti, all those famous players, and really built Fila Tennis. And he's actually passing that on to my husband. But we do use the connections for tennis and vine. But I'm actually starting it with a friend of mine who I met at a personal development workshop. She lives in Melbourne, Australia, and she works as a best-selling author. And she wrote this awesome book called Feeling Forwards. And I'm also about what are you putting into your mind every day? And she's all about that. So she works with Tony Robbins and a bunch of high-performance folks. So I'm actually starting Tennis and Vine with her. Her name is Ellie Gold. So I'm really, really excited about that. And again, I just feel like a little kid. It's kind of like being in the sandbox with your best friend and you get to kind of create all the fun things. And we have a waiting list already for our trips. And we're really, really excited. Well, that excitement is coming through your voice loud and clear, Heather. Tell us, what's your next money conversation going to be and who's it going to be with? It's actually, we're kind of working out the partnership logistics with my partner with the new company. So that's going to be my next big money conversation. We're excited about it and where it's going and also kind of working out how we work with corporate partners. And we're really going to mirror what we did with Spirit Horse, which is every trip we're going to have a giving back element that's part of a corporate sponsorship. So for example, if you're going to the Australian Open with us, We are giving back to the koala rescue there. You may recall the fires from 2020, and they're still working to repopulate some of those areas. So having those money conversations with corporate partners as well. And I think that that's a much easier conversation now than it used to be post-pandemic. I think people really want to align their dollars with their values when they travel as well. And they want to know that they're doing good in the world while they're also on vacation and enjoying themselves. It is so true. 
Heather, thank you so much. How would our listeners find you? You can find me on social media at Spirit Horse Vineyards. That's also our website. And then Tennis and Vine, if you love tennis and wine and travel, check us out at tennisandvine.com and also social media at Tennis and Vine. Heather, I love that you're in creator mode. Seems like that's really a happy place for you. It is. I really appreciate it at the end talking about what are you putting in your mind every day? And I think that's such an important message, feeling our brains. Thank you for bringing your connection and community to us today on Money Tales. Thank you so much for having me. It was absolutely a pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Money Tales podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, share it with someone you think would benefit from listening and leave us a review on your favorite podcasting platform. Your ratings and reviews help more people find our podcast. If you're inspired to gain clarity and peace of mind about financial matters, don't hesitate to reach out to our team at Asperient. Go to asperient.com forward slash start a dialogue. Or you can email Sandy and me at podcasts at See you next time.